Hello, and welcome back to the Belgrade Theatre podcast. This week, we're moving on to chat to the cast and company of Crompton Nights, which is currently in rehearsals at the Belgrade. Following the sellout success of our production of Noughts and Crosses in 2019, Crompton Nights is the second of four productions to emerge from a new consortium between the Belgrade Theatre, Pilot Theatre, York Theatre Royal, Derby Theatre and Mercury Theatre Colchester, established to create new theatre for young audiences. The play is based on a critically acclaimed YA novel by Alex Wheatle, which won the Guardian Children's Fiction Prize in 2016. Here to tell me more about why they chose to bring Crompton Knights to the stage are co-directors Corey Campbell, who is also one of our three co-artistic directors for Coventry's Year as City of Culture in 2021, and Esther Richardson, Artistic Director of Pilot Theatre. Hi guys! Hi guys, how you doing? I'm Corey. I am the co-director for Crompton Knights. And I'm Esther. I'm another co-director for Crompton Knights. So first of all, could you just give us a bit of an overview of Crompton Knights? What's the story? What's this show about? Okay, so Crompton Knights is about the Magnificent Six. Uh, I like to describe it as six kind of young vigilantes who go out in, in their area to right a wrong, basically. And then there's this kind of moral line that they end up crossing. Or indeed, it was it was described by Esther yesterday, which I really liked, as a fight against the moral ambiguity. Uh, and I really like that description because for these six young people, they are absolutely going out there in their own minds and hearts to do the right thing. And then as they step into distant ends, as they say, as they go into different areas, they are met with uh, very real and some very adult situations that they have to deal with without technology, without all the things that help us to navigate our way through life. They, they end up in a position where they're having to, to deal with these situations, these scenarios. And then they may or may not cross the line. And the line moves quite a lot for them, as it does for us in real life. It's a real story about this kind of inner city, working class, young people, all different types, all different cultures, who actually are very good friends who come together and go on a mission to do the right thing, meet in different situations. I think that's one of the things I think is really lovely about this show that, you know, they're dealing with so much yeah. and yet they're still really kind, yeah. generous, they support each other. Like, does does this kind of ring true for you? Is this like people that you've encountered? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to encounter people from all different walks of life and f- from all different places and having toured work internationally, different countries as well. And one thing that is universal is when you meet a kind soul, regardless of what needs to be done, you feel that apt energy, you know, the the energy of somebody who means no harm. And sometimes even with those people, you have fallings out, but you can always rely on the fact that their heart is in the right place. And I think that's something that's very important about the six. It's not about them being innocent. It's about the warmth of actually the spirit of, of who they actually are. I'm going to get Esther to talk a little bit about the kind of consortium project that gave sure. rise to this, if that's okay. Yeah, so. of course. Yeah. So um, Pilot, it really exists to make work for younger audiences. It's actually quite a broad range. Um, it's kind of 11 to those in their early 20s. Obviously, we don't aim for every show to meet that entire group. We usually sort of focus in more on each show, but it's a really important 
challenge, a really important strategy that the, that the company has, because actually so little work is really made, in particular for teenagers. They're a really kind of overlooked audience in theatre, or rather there's a lot of work that might get made that's in inverted commas on the syllabus, mm. but there isn't a lot of art or theatre that gets made that's just for them, you know, like a film might be made with that very specific audience in mind. So that's a kind of interesting thing, and it's it's a challenge and a, a task that we're really excited about, that we love to kind of engage with and, and that we love to sort of push the boundaries of in a way. So what's fantastic about the consortium is the consortium is a group group of venues working with us, a touring company, to really try and make powerful work for this audience in particular, and to really try and get them into buildings, which is no easy task. It's obviously a really challenging thing to do, especially in this climate. Basically making theatres a bit more cool, really, (laughs) and, um, you know, giving consideration to the kind of stories that might really appeal to, to that age group and that audience. So the consortium are, of course, your good selves here at the Belgrade, Derby Theatre, Uh, the Mercury Colchester and York Theatre Royal. And um, what we do is every year we move around the country. So we'll make a show in one of those towns or cities and we'll open it there and then we'll tour it to the others. And we also visit other venues too, but they're kind of the four key places are the ones that I've mentioned. And how did you come across the story of Crongton Knights? Why did you feel like this was the one that you wanted to bring to the stage next? There's just something about the warmth of the book and I just felt like I hadn't really encountered a world like this. I was so impressed by what Alex tried to do and achieves brilliantly in the book kind of linguistically in trying to create this fictional world of Crongton. I thought that was really, really unique. I thought the book was very, very funny as well and I just really loved the characters. I mean, I suppose what what is it that makes something stand out to you? Quite often it is just that sense of falling in love with characters and I think that was true in this case. I think it's really really important that the spaces where really brilliant work by let's say non-white authors, I know it's terrible these definitions but let's say in this case a black author, a black man has written this fantastic book and I, I don't know you know a huge number of titles because there are so few titles that are published by black male authors anyway and definitely for teenagers so that makes the book completely unique, really like nothing else that I can think of that I've read. So that kind of thing always excites me. I've always, always been excited through all my work to to tell the stories that don't get told, basically. So that was a strong appeal of it too. I'm always excited by how you adapt work for the stage, how you tell a big story on stage. Because I suppose I think the kind of spaces that we visit, because they're more um, traditional venues in a way, like those Prosarch spaces, they want to be democratic spaces and they're bigger houses. What you get then is you get a bigger space. And for me, what works really well in those spaces is a big story, a big story with a big heart, with a big sense of adventure, and that's the kind of work that we're, we're making currently. Cool. Let's talk a bit about the co-directing. How does this work? Because you both work together on Noughts and Crosses in a slightly different capacity. So how have you been finding this show compares to that? How are you kind of dividing up responsibilities? 
Well, I mean, working with Corey just always feels so natural. And on Noughts and Crosses, I mean, I felt that we practically were co-directing in a way. Corey's just such a, I don't know what it is about Corey, but when I just love working with Corey. I love his energy in the room. He's so incredibly generous, but he has extraordinary ideas and makes fantastic contributions. He's also amazing physically and he can create amazing physical language and, you know, has a whole kind of way that he builds an ensemble through getting everyone to do what we call body con every morning that kind of thing yeah Yeah. she described it as hell (laughs) that's how you build an ensemble so break them they go go through hell together they have to go through hell together so i think because i come from a very dramaturgical background i'm very text-based I'm very invested in in the story. And that's not to say that Corey's very invested in storytelling too, of mm. course. But in a way, we do come at it from slightly different perspectives. And I think that just works really, really well. So it's not even particularly that we've sat down and gone, right, you're doing this, you're doing that. But it just feels very natural in the room. There's just, there's moments where it's absolutely Corey who's going to step up and lead that. And there's bits equally where I I will do that. So it sort of works like that. It's hard to explain in in more detail anyway. It just feels like an organic way, but where I think we know one another's strengths. Yeah, I would agree, to be honest. Organic, organic. <laughs> I hate that word. Sorry. Man. But it, it, it is right, though. It's like a, it's like everything's a language, isn't it? And it's mm. like, we, we've, through noughts and now this, you do build up a natural language where you always know when to step in and how to, and vice versa. If I'm doing something particularly physical, it doesn't mean that Esther leaves the room. Do you know what I mean? And there's there's moments where we're figuring stuff out and Esther's 100% part of that process but still giving me my platform to explore with the guys and then sometimes steps mm. into that and similarly with the dramaturgical work most of the time I'm jamming, you know but then there are times when in particular because of the theme of the show as well we just lean on each other's lived experience mm. experience in the craft experience mm. in the industry and it changes from time to time but you know when it needs to. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you can feel in the room when your co-director needs the support or doesn't. And sometimes it's just all part of our own language that we've picked up between one another. Where it's just a part of sometimes assisting that and sometimes being on par with, with a moment. It, it really is it just day by day. It just depends what is required in the room at the time. Cool. Um, yeah. So you've talked about the text-based stuff and the kind of more physical theatre aspect. There's also another really interesting aspect to the show, which is the beatboxing. So can you guys talk about where the decision came from to kind of include that and how you got into talks with Conrad? Sure. So we had a really um, special opportunity last year, which was the National Theatre Studio started to get interested in the work that we were making and they offered us a week space with them to kind of just explore some early ideas for Crongton Nights. So that was exciting and we were it was a rare week when we were both pretty much available <laughs> for most of the week. Um, so we grabbed it. We worked with some of the performers who they were working with already, but we had the opportunity to bring in someone from a musical perspective. So they suggested people, there were people that we thought about, and, and on those combined lists was Conrad. And 
I watched some videos of his work and he'd made this show that unfortunately I hadn't at that point been able to see, but I thought it looked incredible. The show was a version of Frankenstein that was done entirely through beatboxing. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Um, shout out. You've got to go and see this show <laughs> when it when it returns. Um, we actually managed to catch it in Edinburgh, but we'd already met Conrad and worked with him at that point. Conrad, I don't know, there's just something about the work that Conrad makes that it's really hard, you know, like sometimes these things aren't intellectual. They're more just really instinctive decisions. There was something about Conrad's work that just felt the perfect match for this. And the way that he works as well, he he works in this way where he's an absolutely amazing facilitator. So he's really good at generating in you the confidence to step up and be musical and have a go and beatbox. And in a way, he leans on you to be your own resource in sort of making the work. So it's wonderful because he's come and he's done some amazing work with the company. And together, through this kind of magic that he works, the company with Conrad have created all of these songs. So that's the kind of history of how we met and how we started working. But again, I mean, he just, Conrad again is another person who just feels like he's got the same sort of approach as Corey and I in terms of he really likes a very collaborative room, which I think is also true about the two of us and why we get on so well, that we like, you know, we like to create the space and give the respect to the actors who are with us. We think of them in a way as collaborators, as theatre makers. So so in a way, we're all together making the work. You know, nobody comes in and brings a like, right, this is how it's happening, guys, stand over there. We just don't work like that at all, none of us. So it's a perfect match. Um, You talked about, you know, the difficulty of finding a week when you were both free. (laughs) I mean, you're both artistic directors, Corey twice now. (laughs) How how do you kind of manage that, um, getting that balance between, you know, making time for your directing, but also running a company and for Corey now running a building as well? Yeah, it's (laughs) difficult. I mean, and I'm not getting the balance right at the moment, if we're talking honestly. You know, I lack experience in that area in particular. And also, you know, I'm a father. So there are just things to do with that that I'm still really working out. What I know is that I'm I'm all about the work in all senses. So I'm just trying to be in a lot of places at once at the moment and do my absolute best. You know, I have my own theatre company, Strictly Arts, working with Pilot and Crankton. Before this, we were doing Club To Be and obviously co-artistic director 2021 here in the building. I'm keeping very, very busy. I also have to keep my eyes open in terms of getting the correct experience that I need. In terms of the people around me who I can learn from, I really don't want it all to just wash away. And before you know it, you know, I've allowed all of these great opportunities to pass me by. I'm really having a good time in terms of learning on the job, experiencing this kind of level of activity. However, I need to slow down mm-hmm. at some point. <laughs> that, that's the raw honesty if we're going for raw honesty in this podcast. That's how I feel at the moment. But I am having a really good time and I'm grateful to, to be in a position where there are so many opportunities coming. But I don't think you should be too hard on yourself, Corey. That's I, me, though. I I think, um, but I, I think, um, I think being an artistic director is really, really challenging because what doesn't stop is all the other decisions that need to be taken, all the other contributions that you make. You're still responsible for your teams, that kind of thing. 
And it's not an easy proposition, really. It's quite hard to give yourself the space to get into a room and be artistic and to, in a way, temporarily close the door on some of those other questions <laughs> and that other work that needs to happen. And I think you're doing a really great job. Thank and you. I think yeah. it's really, really hard. And what I observe is, I mean, it's always a learning process and that never stops. I mean, I feel the same. I feel like I go through my life constantly feeling like I'm letting somebody down somewhere. If it's not the team in the office, it's my own daughter or it's the fact I haven't given enough time to the acting company mm. or when did I last check in on the guys on tour? Are they OK? <laughs> you know, so I think that's partly being a human being who cares about these many different aspects of their life and just tries to do their very best, you know. Yeah, yeah. But what I see is someone doing a great job. Right, thank you. <laughs> I, I appreciate it. I feel like I'm always hard on myself, but I like that it doesn't affect me in any mental that's why it's nice capacity. to have each other to support to, each other. Yeah, totally, totally. And some of the Strictly Arts gang are in the show, mm-hmm. which is also great because Strictly Arts also have a language that we bring in, mm. you know, the guys in on so that some of the stuff that usually take a while to build up actually already exists in the room. Mm. And I have to say the Crankton Ensemble are fast. You yeah, know, they're great. They, they're really, really quick. They're amazing, Strong actually. performers, mm. intelligent performers, and they really key in to what's happening, the vibe, the energy, you know. Did you, <laughs> did you have some of them in mind before you started? Or No, the truth. When I This is the truth now. Okay, the truth, wow. The truth. <laughs> uh, it's a podcast, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be real with it. When I read Crankton, I was sad that Strictly Arts weren't involved as a company. The minute I'd read it, I thought this would be great as... Pilot, Strictly Arts, Belgrade, and also BAC, the mm. Beatbox Academy. Mm. But it is almost that in as much as it's Corey, Esther, and it's Conrad. But there was something in it that really felt like, oh my God, this really speaks to Strictly Arts mm. Theatre Company, big time. So every character I could have easily done with the core company of Strictly Arts. Mm. And that did, that's come through my mind a few times. But that doesn't take away from the ensemble that we actually have. Because once we started to audition people, you know, I'm more brutal on my own guys than anyone else in, in those <laughs> auditions, you know. Mm. Esther would tell you, I'd be like, mm, you know, some of my guys, they need to build themselves up. Sorry, but when some mm. of those guys came into the room, you got down there, Simi, Kai, Nagar, mm. Zach. You know, when those guys came into the room, I really felt like it was a, an energy that was so hungry and raw and the talent was there and it was really exciting. So that soon passed out of my mind that only SATC can do this. But you know, anybody who knows me knows I'm like that. You know, I'm like, <laughs> you know, strictly out all day, SATC to the death. You know, that's what we, well, that's what we say. But th- this company has really um, wowed me and it's a company that I've been very excited to work with and I've been raw and honest with them about mm. that from the very beginning from we were like in our first week when it was just music and I saw how they threw themselves into some of the things that they were more anxious about mm. they throw themselves into scenarios you know they do improvisations based on near enough zilch in terms of the foundation that they have to work with and these are areas that they have announced beforehand that they are uncomfortable with and they attack it with everything they have for me that's really beautiful to see an area that somebody is vulnerable and not just me and Esther supporting them a whole company their whole cast and company are supporting them to go through that's strictly arts way that's what's happening in the room so I couldn't have asked for a better team really but it you know it does feel like a real show for, the, for Strictly Arts. It's great, it's great, it's great. Um, 
on that note, with it feeling like a very strictly art show, I'm interested in the fact that it's kind of inspired by South London, really, the book. So with this having always been planned to be a regional touring show mm. and people like yourselves, West Midlands-based artists involved in it, is it something that feels true to this region, do you think? Oh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you've spoken about this before, Heather. Every single city town has its own culture, and it's important never to neglect that fact. Um, and there are things that we can agree on as as cities and towns. There are things that we're 100% unison on, and there are problems that we share. But every single place has its own culture in those things, its own unique ability to handle those things or not to handle those things. Crunkton is universal in as much as Alex was genius enough though it's based on South London, to create a fantastical world alongside it. And in the storytelling of it and in the language used, the phonetical language that it uses in the book that Esther and MT has have worked so hard to transfer into the play, it gives you an opportunity wherever you go, regionally or in London, to create a world that you invite people into that is a representation of their own as opposed to it being a, a mock or a mimic of that thing. So it, it definitely works wherever it goes. But that's not based on anything that me and Esther have done, if you don't mind me mm. saying. That's based on something that Alex's genius has, or he already planted that seed. Yeah. It's down to myself and Esther and Empty as now to water and grow that. Um, mm. And that's what we're doing in this space. It fits, it's a universal story and the world is a fantastical world. And we have argued and matured that world in as much as to say that the fantastical language is used as a coping mechanism for these young people. And that's not something that's dissimilar to anybody anywhere. Mm. Linguistically, young people have a universal language now, you know, from north to south, right, mm. right the way across the country. The communities, the inner city communities are using the same language in terms of what they're actually saying. The sound might be different, but what they're saying sounds the same. Yeah, And true. that is something that's really, really important to a fantastical world. The fantastical world that Alex created in Crankton means that these knights, when they're talking about drawbridges mm. and slabs and all these type of things, they're not things necessarily that people in, in the community are saying at the moment. But in a fantastical world, all we do is invite an audience. And that's the same as what you do with any show. That's a really long way of saying yes, it works, <laughs> it works regionally. You talked about all that fantastical stuff and it is like, I feel like it is a really playful show, it's very funny, but it's also dealing with these like really heavy themes. Yeah. How difficult is it to kind of balance that tonally? Yeah, it's difficult. If I'm honest, I think Esther's a lot more delicate around those issues. That's another reason why we work as a team. And I really appreciate that. And if I was performing in it, I would appreciate that time to breathe on it as well. Mm. For me, the difficulty in what we're achieving and trying to achieve is that there are some people in a very vulnerable position that are living this life and worse. Mm. And that's why I feel that sometimes you end up going into these dark places in order to create even something, you know, for children's theatre mm. or theatre for young people in particular. It's important that we understand and we do that some of these young people are, are actually suffering from the themes that we have in the play mm. and worse. Yeah. And some of those young people will come and watch the play. And the reality of it is, is that we don't want to recall trauma. That's not what we're trying to do with this show. So if we're going to work our way through those traumatic situations, we also work our way through a resolve at the end. Yeah. You know, and that's why I've raised the point that Esther's a lot more delicate around the topics dramaturgically. That's where that real etiquette comes in for us to attack it viciously 
but also have the resolve. We can't just leave some of those vulnerable young people in the trauma. And that's what's important to me. The themes aren't tiptoed around, but also the themes don't just become a topic to bring up trauma and leave. Mm. And I must say that we had a show before that did that, and Camilla worked with Strictly Arts and Freeman, and it did leave without a resolve, and mainly because the issue in real life is unresolved. Yes, it is. So yeah. I was like, that you know, that show, we left open. Deliberately. Deliberately. Yeah. But, but it did leave audiences in quite a state sometimes. Yeah. And we had emails about it and messages about it. And I don't wish we did it differently because the point is, if you feel that way about it, how do you think the people who are in that mess feel about it? It's unresolved. Mm. But when we're dealing with young people, mm. I believe that there has to be that wraparound within the show. Yeah. And then those conversations can continue at school, yeah. and, and, you know, or wherever. And, and a pilot do a lot of those wraparound services themselves as part of. I feel, I mean, I'm talking for pilot. No, no, it's fine. It's fine. Right. Yeah. That's really, really. But you're really part key. of pilot as well. So yeah, yeah. So Come on, good. look, I got home everywhere. <laughs> 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 I'm dancing, by the way. You guys can't see me, but I'm dancing. <laughs> cool. So just to wrap up, then you've touched on it a little bit there. But is there anybody in particular you hope comes to see the show, and what? would you most like them to take away from this? This isn't like trying to get out of the question, but we really feel the show's for everybody and relevant to everybody. I think it's definitely going to appeal to a youthful, spirited audience. Yes. And that's primarily who we have in mind. But, you know, as with all our work, it's pretty accessible. I was just talking this morning to another interviewer and he was sort of making the same comment, really, that actually he was looking at the figures for Noughts and Crosses, where we had almost 50% of the audience were under 20 out of 30,000 people who saw it, which is amazing. But he said that also highlights 50% are, are different from that, presumably older, but yeah, who knows, you know. So that's exciting, really, that there's that kind of broad appeal. Thank you both so much for your time. That was fab. Thank you, Heather. Crongton Nights premieres at the Belgrade Theatre from the 8th to the 22nd of February. Tickets are available to book now at www.belgrade.co.uk.